Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, everyone. My voice is a bit scratchy, so um, if I sound strange, it's just I've got a little bit of a, of a cough. So um, please uh, excuse me for that. Um, we're going to continue um, with our series uh, that we're doing on um, Colossians. And um, the interesting thing about Colossians, I mean, I I say this almost every time, but we tend to think of the gospel as something that people need who are not saved yet to get them saved, to get them into the kingdom. But here Paul writes a letter to the Colossian church, um, in other words, to Christians, but it's all about the gospel. And it highlights the truth that all of us need the gospel all the time, no matter how long you've been a Christian. You need the gospel, and, and today's text actually shows that so powerfully and so, um, so clearly. And Paul's goal for the Colossians, and by extension for us, is that we'll be able to live the gospel or apply the gospel in every aspect of life, in every area of life. So let's read from... Colossians 2, verse 20 to 23, it's from the ESV. It says, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to to things that all perish perish as they are used, according to human precepts or um, commandments and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in, self-promote, in, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So clearly what Paul is talking about here is not, I mean, you, you can uh, divide salvation into three sort of steps. Um, You know, theologians talk about three steps of salvation as justification, when we're saved from the penalty of sin, sanctification, when we're saved from the power of sin, and glorification, when we're saved from the presence of sin. Okay? I'm sure most of you have probably heard of that. Okay? So, we often think of justification that saves us from the penalty of sin. That's what we need the gospel for. And that's an event that happens when you get born again. But what Paul is saying is that sanctification, the process that follows that event of justification, sanctification, the lifelong process of becoming more holy, of becoming more like Jesus, of being saved from the power of sin throughout our lives more and more progressively, that process is also by the gospel, according to Paul and according to the scripture. Um, so let's, let's just see if, if we can see it there. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to sort of break it up because this, this passage shows us three problems that we face as Christians. Then it shows us two false solutions to the problems and then shows us one true solution. So three problems, two false solutions, and one true solution. Okay, so um, all across the Bible, in many different places, and, and it's, it's alluded to here as well, it, it mentions the Christian's three top 
enemies or problems that we face. Do you guys know what those are? If you know, tell the person next to you. What are are those three problems? It's the devil or demons. It's the world. And it's the flesh. Right? Who have you got it right? (laughs) In terms of temptation and leading us astray, those are the three powers that try to lead us astray. So he starts off and he says... If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world. So he's mentioning the spiritual realm and the elemental spirits of the world, and, and, and he, which are basically demons, the devil and demons. Those spiritual forces that are opposed to God, and because we are in Christ, they are opposed to us. And they try and tempt us to, to be like them rather than to be like Christ. Um, and... The second one he mentions, he says, as if you were still alive in the world. So he mentions the world. And the world, whereas the spiritual forces are spiritual, the world is physical. Okay, so there's this world system that also is opposed to God, but it's physical. So there's a spiritual and a physical realm outside of us that is opposed to God and that wants to drag us away from God and prevent us from becoming more like Christ. So notice that both of these two, the the demons, the devil, whatever you want to call it, and the world, are external. But the third one, the flesh, he mentions that at the end, talks about the indulgence of the flesh. The flesh is internal. And the world and the, the demons cannot directly influence us except if we allow them in. Now, here's the problem. You've probably heard that story, that um, Greek myth of um, King Agamemnon who went to try and conquer Troy. Now, Troy, in those days, in, in those days they had like city-states. You know, they had big city, and what a, what a city was was a, a settlement that had walls around it, protective walls, um, and and that meant you could defend yourself pretty well. And Troy had never been conquered; the walls of Troy had never been breached. No army coming against it, and there had been quite a few armies throughout the, the the many years that Troy had existed up to that point that had come to attack Troy. But all of them, you know, those waves of attacks had just sort of crashed against the the walls of Troy and dissipated. None of them were successful, not a single one. And and Troy sort of had this um, reputation of being unconquerable. In any case, King Agamemnon came with his massive army and he attacked the walls and he got driven back and he attacked the walls and got driven back and he attacked the walls and got driven back over and over again. And eventually, one of the guys in his army gave him a a clever idea. they pretended that a plague had broken out amongst the soldiers of Agamemnon's army, and they withdrew with their ships from Troy and left the dead bodies that had supposedly died by the plague there, along with a wooden horse, a massive wooden horse, sort of as a, a gift, you know, to say sorry to the Trojans and, and to, to, to sort of, you know, uh, you know, uh, probably sort of as a, as a um, sacrifice to the gods, you know, f- you know, to stop the plague and all that kind of stuff. Um, and 
the whole thing was that the horse on the inside was, was hollow. So the, the Trojans were like, you know, we knew it. We could have told you so. Your, we could have told you your army wouldn't succeed against us. Our walls are too strong. We are unconquerable, you know. And in their pride and their self-confidence, they took this horse and said, well, we deserve this, you know. Let's, let's use it as an opportunity to celebrate. They pulled it through into the city of Troy and celebrated and had a big victory parade and, um, you know, patted themselves on the shoulder. And in the evening, the soldiers and stuff that were hiding inside of that horse, you know, under the cover of darkness, they slipped out. They killed the guards at the gate. They opened the gates from the inside and they let the army back in. They signaled the army with a, with a, with a torch or something and, and let it back in. And they came in and conquered the city of Troy. And we even nowadays talk about something, a traitor, or something that unlocks from the inside as a Trojan horse. Right? And that's what the flesh is. The flesh is a Trojan horse. The flesh is the traitor on the inside that lets the enemies on the outside, the devil and the world, in, past our defenses. And all of us know that, and all of us have had the experience of being tempted by the devil and by the world, knowing that what we are being tempted to is wrong, wanting to resist it, but ending up giving in to the temptation and indulging in the flesh and in the sin because that Trojan horse of the flesh has unlocked us from the inside and allowed um, the evil one in. So, how do we deal with the fact that our sin desires to sin, our flesh desires sin, even if we have been born again as Christians and we desire to please God, our flesh desires to sin against God. How do we deal with that? Um, you know, in one of the early Spider-Man movies, um, I think it was the third Spider-Man movie, it was that one where he had the black suit. You remember? And there, there, there's this, there was this, this um, anyway, this, this, this evil symbiote em, uh, entity, that, alien entity that came from the outside and sort of covered him. Um, and he, he asked the question, it's, it's quite a good question, how do you fight the darkness when the darkness is within? How do you fight the darkness when the darkness is within? And that's the question that this text asks. And there are two solutions that the world gives, that, um, one that the world gives and one that the false teachers give. Okay? The, the solution that the world gives is basically just give in. Just give in to your temptation. Just indulge in the flesh. Just sin and enjoy it. <laughs> and many people follow that. And that's basically rebellion. Basically saying, just, just going to give in to the sin. Whatever I desire, I'm going to do, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's sin or not. I'm just going to do it and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm, in fact, going to celebrate it. And you get lots of people who celebrate their sin and even brag about it. And they really enjoy it, you know. Um, so, so that's rebellion. The other solution that the false teachers give is religion. So rebellion and religion. And, and they say, no, you must resist it. You must fight hard. You must have self-control and willpower and discipline. And, and, and you must have all kinds of rules. Do not taste. Do not touch. Do not handle. And you must have, be harsh to your flesh. 
In other words, religion. You must, you must subjugate your flesh from the outside. Okay? And let's be honest, that's a solution all of us have tried. Is there anyone here who has never tried that solution before? At least partially. I'm, I'm sure all of us have. And what was your experience? Has it worked for you? Maybe short term, yes. It does work short term sometimes. But long term, it doesn't work. Why? What's the problem with the solution of religion? What's its shortcoming? It tries to change you from the outside in, but it cannot really change your heart. It cannot change you on the inside. It, it can only bring about behavior modification on the outside. It cannot bring about true lasting change on the inside. It cannot deal with, it cannot stop the indulgence of the flesh. Um, I think it was Philip who mentioned uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's interesting that in that parable, because you have two sons who are actually both lost, and, and the one, the younger brother, runs away with his inheritance and goes and squanders it with prodigal or wild, sinful living. And, and he represents rebellion. And then you have the older brother who stays at home, and, and his solution is basically religion. He tries to do everything that the father says, but, but you can hear from how he speaks about his brother that he hates his brother, and how he speaks to his father that he doesn't love his father either. In other words, his heart, even though his behavior is, seems to be in obedience to the father, his heart is just as rebellious and just as sinful towards the father. And that's the problem with religion. Religion cannot change our hearts. Now, now Paul is criticizing religion and all the rules of it and all the severity to the flesh and all the you know, trying and willpower, not because he has a problem with those things per se. He's just saying if that is all there is and if it's apart from Christ, it doesn't work. It's not enough. It cannot stop the indulgence of the flesh. It cannot change your heart. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a big problem because... The reality is that Trojan horse of the flesh is always with us. So you have to find some way to deal with it. And if you listen to the world, you'll just go for rebellion and just give in. And if you listen to the false teachers, you'll just go for religion and try and do behavior modification. But Paul says there's an alternative. And we'll get to that in a moment. Let me just um, highlight a few of of the problems. He, he refers to, to it as self-made religion in this passage. And he, and he mentions a few problems with the self-made religion. The first thing is he, he says, um, why as if you were still alive in the world, you still submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In other words, he's saying that, that all of these external regulations, the self-made religion is of the world number one, and it, therefore it cannot save you from the world. It's, it's, it's like this. It's like, you know, you, you have to fight the shark. If you want to fight the shark, I have good advice for you. Don't do it in water. Okay? If you're going to fight the shark, fight him on dry land. If you have to fight the shark in the sea, you're going to lose. 
But if you have to fight the shark on dry land, you're going to win. The shark's going to lose. It's like Tola van Amarva always said, you know, he, he, he has a good, uh, you know, understanding with the sharks. You know, he, they stay out of the sea, and, uh, or, or he stays out of the sea, and they stay out of the pub. <laughs> but if you're going to fight the shark, don't do it on their turf. If you're going to fight the devil, if you're going to fight sin, don't do it on the devil's turf. Don't do it in the world. You will lose. You will always lose. And that's the problem with religion. It's of the world and therefore it cannot save you from the world. It leaves you in the devil's turf. It leaves you to fight the shark in the water. Okay. Secondly, it says um, that this self-made religion, it deals only with perishable external problems. It says they're um, referring to things that uh, all perish uh, with use. As they are used. So he's talking about physical things. He says it, it, deals with, it deals with a problem as though the problem is only the physical external temptations, the perishable things, the things that you can handle and touch and taste. It, 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 it deals with it as though that's the problem. But, but what he's saying is what religion misses is the problem is not just external, the external stuff that are tempting you, it's the internal desires of the heart and of the flesh so it, it doesn't deal with the root of the problem it only deals with the fruit of the problem okay thirdly he says it's based merely on human commandments and teachings um you know according to human precepts and teachings and and here he, he, he in a sense he's referring either to what jesus said in mark chapter 7 or to the scripture that jesus was referring to in mark chapter 7 um if you guys if you can just bring up um that scripture, I think I put up Mark chapter 7, verse 6 to 9. It says, because uh, Jesus is here having a discussion with the Pharisees who had the same approach to religion as these false teachers. They also tried to use man-made, self-made religion to try and please God. And Jesus says to him, uh, it says, and the Pharisees and, and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with, undefiled, uh, with defiled hands? And, and he said to them, While did Isaiah, and this is in Isaiah 29 verse 13, While did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Can you see he's talking, Paul's talking about the same thing as Jesus is addressing here with the Pharisees. And, and, and he says the problem with you Pharisees, Jesus says, is you try and change stuff on the outside. You try and deal with the manifestation, the external manifestation of the problem. But you don't deal with the heart. And you don't change the heart. You try and do behavior modification on the outside without allowing transformation to happen on the inside. Then fourthly, this self-made religion, uh, Paul says about it, it, it has only the appearance of wisdom, not true wisdom. You know, people look at the steps that disciplined people take to try and be disciplined. And once again, I want to say, in other places in the Bible, Paul actually... Um, recommends those similar steps as well. 
So Paul doesn't have a problem with discipline and disciplining your body and, and saying no to certain external things. He's, he's absolutely for that. But he's saying that if you have that without something that can also change the heart, it's just the appearance of wisdom. It's not true wisdom. Because people look at that and they think, oh, you know, such a wise man, so disciplined, you know, so shrewd and so um, dedicated. And, and Paul says, if that's all you have, dealing with stuff on the outside, it's actually just the appearance of wisdom. It's not true wisdom. Then fifth, he says, it only restrains the flesh. He talks about asceticism. Um, you know, cutting out excess and, and all kinds of stuff in your life. Harsh treatment of the flesh. It does not, it, it only, the problem is it only restrains the sin from the outside. It doesn't, it doesn't over, uh, it, it only restrains the flesh. It doesn't transform the flesh. It doesn't overcome the flesh. It has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, here I just want to, if you can just bring up that picture of the steel that I put up here. If you have a piece of steel and you bend it, you know, you take your hands and you try and bend it, it's, it's, it's either going to shoot back when you leave it, or if you apply enough force, it'll break. If you want to bend steel in such a way that it remains permanently changed, you have to first heat it and then bend it. And what Paul is saying is that man-made, self-made religion doesn't have that. It doesn't have the ability to heat the steel of, of your heart and change it in a permanent way. Only the gospel has that power to heat the steel of your flesh so that when you bend it, it remains bent. It remains changed. It remains transformed. And then six, uh, and last, it's, uh, this self-made religion, it has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh or changing the heart. Basically what I said before. So, what is the true solution? What does Paul say is the true solution? Um, and the true solution is obviously the gospel. Not rebellion, God's man's way away from God, or religion, man's way to God, but the gospel, God's way to man. Not rebellion, our way of justifying or, or, or not having to change, or religion, our way of trying to change ourselves, but the gospel, God's way of changing us and transforming us from the inside out. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out by giving us a new heart. So um, the gospel allows us to do three things that religion doesn't. Firstly, it allows us to admit our sin Secondly, it allows us to understand our sin. And thirdly, it allows us to overcome our sin. Okay? Why do I say it allows us to admit our sin? If you are trying to please God through religion, if you are trying to please God through religion, then the extent to which you feel you please God depends on the extent to which you do not sin. The extent to which you are disciplined and restrain the flesh and the indulgence of the flesh. The problem with that is, if you think your salvation depends on you not sinning, then when you do sin, what are you going to do? You're going to cover it up. Not just to other people, but to yourself. You're going to lie about it. You're going to justify it. Because you cannot afford to sin. Because your very salvation depends on you not sinning. 
according to that to religion, to self-made religion, right? So the problem with religion is that it prevents us from even admitting our sin. So therefore you can't repent of it. You cannot turn away because you can't even admit it. And to a large extent, so often in, in any given church, there's a mixture of gospel and religion. And that's why in many churches we struggle to openly admit our sin because we feel like little Pharisees or like people doing religion that our salvation depends on our good behavior and us not sinning. And therefore we try and hide our sin from ourselves and from one another and we wear our little fig leaves like Adam and Eve. Isn't that so? so but, the, but if the gospel is true and you have already died with Christ and you are already saved, not because you are good enough, but because Christ is good enough and He has taken what you deserve so that you can get what He deserves, because that's the essence of the gospel, then it's safe to admit your sins and your shortcomings because your salvation doesn't depend on you not sinning. Can you see that? Can you see how the gospel actually sets you free to humble yourself, admit your sin, and therefore to be able to deal with your sin properly in a way that religion never can? Does that, does that make sense? That alone is already a very powerful aspect of the gospel. I mean, if you and I, if we cannot admit our sin, it just means that we don't understand the gospel deeply enough and we're not applying it consistently enough to our hearts. Because if I say to myself, God loves me despite this sin, therefore I don't have to try and hide this sin from him or from myself or from the people around me. I can, I can admit this sin because this sin is not going to keep me out of heaven. This sin is not going to cause God to love me less. Because God's love is not something I deserve. It's something that Jesus deserved for me. That's why it's unconditional love. It's guaranteed. I'm safe to be less than perfect. Who, who, who of you struggle with that sometimes? Come and be honest with admitting your sin. Who of you struggle with admitting your sin? I do. And that just means that, like the Colossians, we need to take the gospel and meditate on it and remind ourselves that we don't have to hide our sin. We can openly and freely admit our sin. So the, the gospel sets us free to admit our sin. Secondly, the gospel helps us to understand our sin. He says the solution, because when he says that, that self-made religion has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, the implication is that by contrast the gospel does have value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And the specific aspect of the gospel that Paul mentions in these verses is what? If you have, or since you have, died with Christ. Since you have died with Christ. You see, um, so often we see the problem of sin, you know, if I can use an analogy, we see our salvation 
as we've been in a car crash. You know, if I can use the analogy of a car. I've been in a car crash. My, my car's pretty beat up and bent up. I need a good panel beating, you know, just to get it back into shape, get myself back into shape, metaphorically speaking. But what, what Paul says is you need a, a, a complete overhaul. You, you don't just need a little panel beat. You need a new engine. You need a new car. You know, it's the, the, the problem is our old life in the world itself. It's irredeemable. That life has to end. You have to die to the world and to the things of the world and be resurrected with Christ into newness of life. It's not just a little panel beat, your old life on steroids or your old life, you know, with a bit of a makeover. It's a complete new life in Christ. Your old life will always be subject to the world and to the flesh and to the devil and to, to sin. You'll never be able to break free from sin. And the, the problem that, that so many people who call themselves Christian have is that they're trying to live a Christian life without having become Christians, especially in a country like South Africa where, where you have cultural Christianity where 80% of people in South Africa claim to be Christian. But if you go on any given Sunday to, to the churches, you'll see that, I don't know what the percentage is, but definitely less than 80%, maybe 20 or 30% of people actually come to church or actually have a Christianity that affects every part of their life. And you have so many people who call themselves Christians they're nominal Christians, Chinos, Christian in name only. <laughs> and they try, they, they're not truly Christian because they're not truly born again, but they, they don't have that new life. So they still have the old life, and now they're trying to live new lives, but as people who only have old lives. And that doesn't work. So, so what I'm trying to say is that sin has infected us to such an extent that it requires a death and a resurrection to be free from it. Nothing less than that can set you free from it. Just religion and trying harder cannot set you free from it. And that, that's why Paul says, you know, you need faith in the gospel. He implies it because he says, um, if or since you have died with Christ. And the implication is that you must believe the gospel that the gospel is true about you, that you have, in fact, died with Christ and in Christ. And that, that's an amazing thought, that when Christ died, you died. If you are in covenant with Christ, then what has happened to Christ, in, a, in, in effect, has happened to you. Isn't that an amazing thought? Uh, I have a friend who, who always likes to say, God loved me so much that he, that he crucified me in Christ. And, and, and we, we rightly think that God has taken our sin to the cross. And God has crucified our sin on the cross. But he's done more than that. Yes, that, you know, like we read earlier on in Colossians, that, that the, 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 the accusations against us, the, the legal standing against us has been nailed to the cross. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. But it's not just our sins that have been nailed to the cross. We have been nailed to the cross in Christ. Not just our sins have been destroyed on the cross, but we have died on the cross with Christ. 
And to the extent that we believe that, it actually sets us free from the flesh and from the sin. To live that newness of life, not just a panel beaded, tweaked, or you know, a life that has had a makeover, but a, 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 a completely new life, the life of Christ in us and through us. And that's why Paul, when he says, since you have died with Christ, you know, why, why do you still try religion and the things of religion, the rules and, and the severity to the flesh and so on? Why, why do you just try that? Why don't you take the gospel, the, the reality, the truth that you've died with Christ and apply it by faith to your hearts? In other words, it's not the, where religion says try harder, the gospel says trust more. Trust more. Trust what Christ has already done more. And think about the fact that if I've already died with Christ, then I'm dead to that. It actually has no more hold over me except what I give it. I can actually walk in freedom from this indulgence of the flesh. And, you know, you can also meditate on this. If you're a Christian and you've died with Christ, then, then obviously you love Christ because He has loved you so much and, and you realize that you receive that love by faith. You cannot help but love Him in return. And why would you want to entertain yourself and enjoy and indulge in the very things that Christ died to save you from? If you receive the gospel, the gospel is also going to work that love in your heart that says, I, like Christ was willing to die for me, in my place, I'm willing to die to the things of the world for him. Imperfectly, but, but I want to. I actually want to not indulge in the things of the flesh that Christ had to die for. So, um, the, the gospel helps us to admit our sin, it enables us to understand our sin, and it enables us to overcome our sin when we truly understand it. Um, and, and just applying it to your heart by saying, and I, I want to close with this, when you get tempted, I just want to recommend two things for you to do. Number one, admit that you're being tempted. <laughs> just saying it. I'm experiencing temptation to get angry now. Or I'm being tempted to lust now. Or I'm being tempted to be dishonest now. Or I'm being tempted to be proud and arrogant now. Okay? Just admit it first. And then secondly, understand that whatever the, the world or the devil through your flesh is trying to tempt you to is a substitute in some other form of what the gospel will give you. It's, it's like um, you're thirsty and the devil is offering, offering you beer and, and the gospel is offering you pure water. You can drink the beer and it'll, it'll, it'll satisfy your thirst for a while, but that alcohol is going to make you thirsty again. And you'll keep being thirsty. And, and that's what the substitute, the sinful substitute of the devil always is. It'll satisfy you for a little while, but never fully. And recognize that it's a, um, a counterfeit, that what, what Jesus is offering you through the gospel is better. So admit 
that you're being tempted, understand that the temptation is to something that is less powerful and less satisfying than what the gospel is offering you. Okay? And then thirdly, the reality, confess the reality that you've already died to that. I'm dead to that sin. I died with Christ. I'm dead to that sin. It's not going to satisfy me, but what God offers me through the gospel, that will satisfy me. And even just confessing it out loud and saying, in Jesus' name, I'm being tempted now, but I understand that the devil is just trying to trick me and give me something that ultimately won't satisfy me. Jesus, what do you have for me through the gospel that is better than this, that is more satisfying than this? And Jesus, I want that. I, I'm dead to the sin. I'm dead to this thing that I'm being tempted to do. But I, I want to honor you by living the life, living out the gospel that is true about me. Amen. Does that make sense? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.